Job chapter 4, going through the book of Job, we're, you're going to deal with a lot of different subjects and a lot of different angles on not only Job, but also on God. But Job chapter 4 is going to deal with some misconceptions about trouble and about God, but one of the things you're going to pick up right away is that sometimes Christians have to live in the midst of critics, and a, and a critic is somebody playing God in your life, and that is hard. That is hard. So, uh, we're only going to start in chapter 4 tonight, and, uh, but Job is not just about trouble and suffering, as we've learned, it's also about God. And when you go through the book of Job, you're having an insight into how God deals with us, what and, and sometimes he doesn't intervene. A lot of times he doesn't intervene. Sometimes he's silent, but it doesn't mean he's going to stay silent. There is going to be a time where he will intervene. And uh, you just want to make sure that you've just been faithful. You've just stayed the course. So, um, and by way of review, we looked at chapter 1 where it tells about the character of God, what God is like, which was what Job was trying to be like. He was trying to have the same characteristics as God, which is a great desire. Uh, and, and a great goal. Secondly, uh, second chapter pulls back the curtain of heaven and shows us a spiritual battle going up up in heaven, where Satan is is going after uh, the the um, the reputation of God. <clears throat> and I want to say something that that really struck me, and I uh, and I want to say it this way: Satan, throughout the Book of Job and throughout the history, his only point has always been, his goal has always been to prove that people follow God only when things are good. And that's usually true. That people only do his will when it makes sense. God's will doesn't often make sense. But he wants to prove that people, when things get confusing, they quit. When it is easy, well, okay, I'll go to church if it's nearby. Okay, well, I'll read the Bible if it's easy to understand. Um, but really... God allowed Job to show us the reality, the Christian reality, that God is worthy of losing everything for. We want, we want to believe Joel Osteen and Benny Hinn and all of these prosperity preachers that if I just do everything right, I'll be so happy, I'll be so blessed. No, you may lose everything. So, <clears throat> chapter 2 shows us how Satan's goal for the Christian is to find out are you only in it for the good times? Chapter 3, we looked at four questions about God that everyone ultimately needs and desperately needs answered when God goes dark. So we now come to chapter 4, where we begin to listen to one of Job's best friends. When that best friend becomes a nightmare, instead of being an encourager, he becomes a critic. So, what happens here in Job for the next 28 chapters is three cycles of debates. This is, this is kind of like the, the, uh, the, the epitome, the, the highest order of a play, where you see somebody speaking up before the audience and pointing to a, a, a person uh, up on stage, and this person begins to just hammer away at Job. And then Job stands up and he begins to try to defend himself and respond, and then somebody else stands up and says, yeah, but this. And for 28 chapters, you have uh, uh, um, three cycles. The first cycle has Eliphaz attacking, then Job responding, then Bildad attacks. And he tries to break Job, and Job responds. Then this guy named Zophar, he slams, and then Job back responds. And you would think after one series of pow, 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 like in a boxing ring, you think, 
Job, give up. Guys, let him alone. No. It goes into a second round. And they go through seven chapters of attack and repel. Then you think, surely, Job, it's over. Surely, guys, you'll let up. And no, they go through a third cycle. It's like never ending. But it's not over. Because after those three cycles, and Job is worn out, and Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar have, have finally said, I've said all I can, another guy shows up named Elihu. <laughs> now, Elihu's not totally a bad guy. None of these guys are bad. But Elihu comes up, and at least he's done one good thing. You know what he's done? He's listened. He has watched and listened both sides, go at it, go at it, and then finally he speaks. The problem you'll find with Elihu is he's so precise, and he goes after both Job's friends and after Job, but there's one thing he's lacking in all of that discussion, in all of that truth. You know what, Job, what Elihu misses? Compassion. So we come through four battles against Job, and Job wasn't asking for any of it. Job had not stepped out of the Christian life and gone off into some deep sin. Job had not left his wife. Job had not murdered his children. Job had not coveted another man's wife. Job had done nothing, and yet everybody was against him. So you come through that, and what you find is it's rough on Job, all of these chapters. And God is silent. And if you are saved one year, two year, 10 year, 15 years, let me tell you, there are going to be stretches of time when nobody understands what you're going through. And everybody's got a finger to point and say, aha, aha. And even David talks about that. And you're saying, God, where are you? How come you're not defending me? So we start off here in Job chapter 4. Let's start off here in verse 1. Job chapter 4 and verse 1. And Eliphaz is the first one to speak. Verse 1, Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, Now in chapter 3, Job's talked, and he's basically, what did he wish? Anybody remember? No, he didn't really wish to die. He wished he'd never been born. Now, it's almost the same. But he wished he had never been born. Now, that's a hard thing, because he had had ten children. He had a wife. He had had success. He had been blessed. But he said when he lost it all, he wished he had never experienced the high because of the pain of the loss. Now, let me ask you this. If you've ever experienced loss, you've ever experienced failure, what's the one thing you don't need when you've experienced failure? Someone to come along and point the finger and says, huh, I know why. <laughs> wow. So, but Eliphaz has something to say. Now, he's not a bad friend. He's probably one of Job's best friends. To be a friend of Job, Job was an incredibly wealthy man. This guy was also probably incredibly wealthy, incredibly successful, probably had 10 children himself, probably had a perfect wife and a perfect dog, and everything was going great. But when you read in verse 1 and 2, you find that he can't help Himself. Read verse again, verse 1 and 2. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If we essay to commune with thee, if we start to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? What a question. Of course he's going to be grieved. But who can withhold himself from speaking? How can I not start saying something? So Eliphaz believes he has to speak up and say something. He can't help but express his great wisdom. 
And, uh, you know, I, I have to write, mark this down. The best gift you can give somebody who's hurting is silence. A wise man once said nothing. Amen. It is almost always best to just sit and wait with someone who is hurting. They may talk. They may ask why. But I believe there's way too much talking today. We have so much noise. We have so much so many people are watching YouTubes all day. They are listening to talk shows all day. They are talking, 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 listening. What do you think? Blah, 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 blah. And there's no silence. There's no ability to process and just rest. Everybody has an opinion. Amen? For most people, that's all it is, is just an opinion. Eliphaz feels like he has to respond, and he's got to explain. He said, Job, let me tell you why you've lost all these things. Let me help you understand why you're so angry at life. Job, let me help you with your conclusions about God. Now, I'm going to say something real clear. Eliphaz has no Bible. The Bible hadn't been written yet. As a matter of fact, Job is the first book in the Bible. So he's speaking not from Scripture. He's speaking from his wisdom. Be careful who you listen to. Eliphaz starts to mock Job. Doesn't encourage him at all. Look at verse 3. Behold, listen to these words very carefully. Thou, Job, hast instructed so many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hand. So, so far, so good. Thy words have upholden him that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. And then there's a but. Verse 5. But now it is a come upon thee, and thou faintest. Stab, stab. It touches thee, and thou art troubled. Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and the uprightness of thy ways? So, Eliphaz comes up and he begins to say, Job, you've done so much for so many people, but it is not doing you any good. Job, uh, Eliphaz refuses to honor Job in any way. And really, it is, a, it is human nature. If we could be very honest, and, and I'm going to ask you to look at yourself for a moment. Because if there's, we would like to all feel like we're Job. But you better not think that. You need to start figuring out, I'm probably like Eliaphaz. I'm probably quick to figure out what's wrong in other people's life and never look at my life. What does the Bible compare itself to in James? A mirror. And it says we must look into the mirror not to see anyone else, but to see ourselves. So, do you think Eliphaz cares how Job is feeling at this moment? Yes or no? Not at all. Not when he starts. And believe me, as you read, and it becomes more and more aggressive every time they try to take Job down. And I guarantee you, there is no further you can take Job down. But they feel like, Job, there's some secret sin. There's something wrong with you. And when they try to bring him down, and it doesn't go down, they just hammer harder and harder without any compassion. Eliphaz mocks Job. He says some of the most hurtful things. He says, you've helped so many. You've got such a good testimony. Everybody knows that when they have troubles, they can come and talk to you. But now you are fainting. 
You save so many others, but yourself, you can't seem to save yourself. What a failure. Is this not your real problem? That all the things you believed and did were actually never really enough. So all your words were lies because they're not helping you now. Now I need you to go to Mark chapter 15. Mark 15. Hold your place here. I want to show you there's one other person in the Bible that heard these same words. Mark chapter 15 and verse 31. Let's see. I'll ask Darren if you wouldn't mind reading. Mark 15, 31. All right. Do you hear any similarity between what Eliphaz is saying to Job and what the Pharisees said to Jesus? Where is Jesus at that moment? No. He is on the cross. He is struggling to pull himself to breathe, and every time he does, the, the pain racking through his body is causing his body to tense up with such anger, anguish. And they're going, huh, look at that. Look at all the people he was able to help, and he can't even help himself. When somebody, and we're, we're, I don't care how saved you are, you've got to examine how fast you're quick to go and kick somebody that's down. It happens, especially among Christians. Now, go back in chapter 4 and verse 7. He uses, he doesn't have biblical wisdom. He uses what is called conventional wisdom to try to help Job. He uses logic. Let's listen to his hot logic. Start back in verse 5. I'll, I'll, I'll give you these, these uh, few things that he says, and then we'll talk about them. Verse 5. But now it is come upon thee, and thou faintest. It touches thee, and thou art troubled. Is this not thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and the uprightness of thy ways? As if to say, you're, you're, isn't this the fruit of your faith? So he says right off the bat, your faith is proven to be empty. He goes on in verse 7. He says, Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? He's as if to say, God's people don't have troubles. Hmm. He goes on in verse 8 9. He says, Even as I have seen, as if he's the end all, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness. They rate the same. By the blast of God, they perish. And by the breath of his nostrils, they are consumed. Here's a third thing he says. Only the wicked reap so many troubles like you have, Job. And then verse 10. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lion are broken by God. The old lion perisheth for lack of prey, and the stout lion's whelps are scattered abroad. What's he saying? Just like the strongest lion that God breaks, when God is breaking you, Job, there's no fighting it. There's no getting out of it. You're doomed. Now, I have to say this. This is his theology. This is Eliphaz, and this is what we're going to see. Eliphaz, Zophar, Bildad are all going to have these thoughts of how God is and what God does, and it is torture. 
Now, Job has got a lot of wrong concerns and uh, things of uh, understanding about God as well. But let's look at these few things here because Eliphaz believes, I understand your problem. But I'm going to say this. Um, mm, let, me, let me hold that for a second. Let's look, let's test some of Eliphaz's statements, okay? Number one, the first one. He says, your faith has proven to be empty. Is that true or false? Has his faith proven to be empty? Not at all. Not really at all. Uh, go to Job chapter 19. Job chapter 19, if I got Miss Sherry to read verses 25 and 26. Okay, there's a key word in all of those two verses that really settle that Job's faith is not empty. It is not shaky. What is, what is, this, what is the one word? What other word? Begins with K. Yes. <laughs> yes. He's, he's not lost his faith. He's not going, well, I hope I'm right. What does the devil want to do with a Christian who's trying to serve God and failing? To get them to go, well, I guess I got it wrong. I guess I'm wrong. Be careful. Um, uh, go to Job 23 and verse 10. Heidi. Ruth, stop it. Job 20. How is, how, Andrew, how do you do it? He didn't have to rub that in. LFAs. Job 23.10, Ruth. I'm just going to say you, thing one and thing two. All right, so is, has Job's faith proven to be empty? No, it doesn't seem to be helping him at that moment. But faith doesn't fix everything. Faith saves. Faith holds us together through the problem. And that's the big deal. So don't, don't let somebody look and say, well, look at the kind of car you're driving. Your faith is not very good. Well, look at the kind of job you have. Look at the kind of problems you have. Your faith, my faith, Eliphaz is up there saying, you know, I get my prayers answered. I have all of my problems very minimal. And when he's saying, your faith, Job, is not working, it is so destructive. Second thing, let's ask ourselves, do God's people have troubles, yes or no? Whoa, yes. Um, let's see. Uh, let's go and find 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> While you're going there, ask yourself, what planet does Eliphaz live on? <laughs> that God's people don't have troubles. Let me ask you about Jesus Christ. What kind of life did Jesus live? Was he carried around uh, on, on the backs of his followers like these Hindu uh, gurus are? Is he, is he constantly, uh, you know, um, uh, 
adored and adorned with every soft pillow. And No, he had to lay his head on rocks. He didn't have know where he was going to sleep that night. He lived in poverty. Jesus was constantly rejected. One day the crowds are with him, the next day, and they're gone. He was abused. He was hated. He was falsely accused. He was mocked. He was tortured. And he was murdered. You tell me God's people don't have troubles. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm going to read it, if you'll read verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> Look at the four things that, Joe, sorry, that, that Paul summarizes and says, this is the life of the Christian. Go ahead. Okay, so what are the four? <laughs> Does he say one time, he says, we are so blessed. He doesn't say that, even though we are. There's not that, I am blessed of God. But when he looks at his life, he says four things. What are those four things, Nita? Troubled on every side. What does that mean? Confused, good. Hmm. What does cast down mean? Good. Our modern word would be depressed. And Paul's saying, there are days where I just go, ugh. Okay, so uh, could you say, looking at the life of Stephen, he's a, he's, a, um, he's a deacon, and he's ministering to the, to the widows, and he's a preacher, and he's preaching his heart out, he's serving God, he's loving people, he's not causing any trouble, and what happens to him out just outside of Jerusalem? They stone him. Hmm. Okay. So, when you look at all these different things, you're going to have to conclude, hmm, that is way false. God's people do have troubles. We can all say amen. Third, only the wicked reap so many troubles like you have. Really? Really? Um, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll go to this time, I'll say, Heidi. This is a bit of a long one. I may stop you in it, but we'll just let it go for a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 30. Let me ask you here, Heidi. Um, if, you, if you had a, a disaster, a health problem, a financial problem, um, you know, you're kicked out of the house, not by your parents, but by the owner saying, you're all out, okay. At what point, how many problems would you take before you start to go, this is awful? And how soon would it be where somebody start pointing and saying, you guys are really... Something's really wrong with you if all of those things are going wrong in your life. See, the amount of wrong sometimes determine how bad or how sinful or how low we look in other people's lives. Look at the list that Paul gives of wrongs and of troubles in his life. No, you started too late. I need verse 23 to 30. You know what a laborer who's working more than everybody else is called? A workaholic. He says, I work more than anybody else. 
And that's not always good. People go, you're a workaholic. Oh, yeah. He goes on. Next one. Is that a good thing? No. <laughs> How many times have you been in prison? Okay. Keep going. Joe, uh, sorry. Um, Paul had actually been declared dead evidently a couple of times. <laughs> Keep going. You know, after the first shipwreck, I wouldn't get on another ship if I were him, amen. But he, three times he went through shipwrecks. Okay, so when somebody buys a new car and shows it off, they're like, ooh, look at how God has blessed me. And, but Paul says, if I'm going to glory, I'm going to glory in my troubles. Which one's easier to say? The first one, yeah. <laughs> Glorying in success. So when people say, you know, you're in a lot of trouble, only wicked people, only bad people get in that much trouble. And that is wrong. This is how Eliphaz sees the Christian life. He says, troubles are only for bad people. And the fourth thing he says is, if God is against you, like he just must be, then there's no stopping it. Um, let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 14, and I'll ask um, your sister. Why couldn't I think it's just Juliet? Second Chronicles chapter 7, 14. Sec I said Corinthians, I meant Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 7, 14. Eliphaz describes lion's teeth being broken and the strongest being defeated by God as if to say, Job, God is breaking you and there's no stopping it. Did you know there's a way to stop God's judgment of you? Go. There, are, there is a fatalism among Christians that looks at certain people and says, they're too far gone. You can't say that. Even a nation that is so far away from God, like Ireland is right now, can get back right with God if they humble themselves and pray. So there's, there's, there is, in all four categories, when, when God is, is working against you, and that's how they're going to see this whole thing. They have no idea that Satan is actually working against them. When God is against you, all you got to do is stop, humble yourself, because God says, uh, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and He will lift you up. 
So you just humble yourself and you wait on God. Maybe you do need to repent and wait on God. Because when something's coming against you, you can actually change the mind of God. Give me an example where the wrath of God was quenched. <clears throat> Say it again. I'm waiting. Part of the sea? I don't remember that. Okay. I take your word for it. I don't know why I don't remember. Uh, Andrew? Yep, because God says, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses says, let me take care of them, Lord. Anybody, any, any, any other group? Nineveh. Amen. All right. So, Eliphaz has got some wrong doctrine. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, I'm going to finish with this thought. Number one, be careful who you allow to criticize you. Be careful. Not that you don't have criticism. We need critics. We need people who will tell us what we don't like to hear. But be careful who you allow to speak into your life and judge your life because not everybody's your real friend. And even your friends have no idea. What would you call Eliphaz? Would you call him at this point in, in the interaction? We're only beginning with Eliphaz. Would you call him a friend? Is this how a friend talks to you when you're hurting? No. Would you call him a, 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 a counselor? Or would you call him a critic? A fault finder. He's looking and digging to find a fault. And Job is surrounded by him. Go back to Job chapter 1 and verse 9, and let's see. Job 1, 9, Mr. Bill, if you'll read verse 9. 1, 9. Hmm. So who's a critic of Job and finding, you know, Job only fears you really for nothing. If you just, if you just sneeze at him, he'll drop you like a hot potato. Go to chapter 2 and verse 5. Keep going there, Bill. Okay, so he is attacking, he is criticizing the frailty of Job. Is Job frail, yes or no? Of course he is. All right, I'll show you one more. Revelation 12, 10. Miss, Miss Pat, would you read Revelation chapter 12, verse 10? which accused them. So what was Job, and what has Job been doing, not Job, sorry, what has the devil, what has Satan been doing from nearly day one? Well, yes, but he's also accusing. He is our critic. He loves to point out, God, did you see that? Did you see what he said? Did you, did you notice what he did? I mean, can you imagine being God and putting up with that? But he can't dismiss the devil because guess what? The devil's right. When he makes an accusation, he doesn't have to make up anything. He can point right to our fault and bring it up before God. He has accused the brethren day and night before God. So Job is, 
is surrounded first by the devil's accusations. Secondly, go to chapter 2 and verse 9, Miss Mona. Job 2 in verse 9. Let's see who else becomes his critic. Does she like his faithfulness, his integrity, his, his faith in God? Does she appreciate the fact that he's trying to just worship God even though he's sitting on an ash heap? No. She's saying, your integrity stinks. Let's just die. So his wife turns on him. And then he's got these three friends who have sat down there, and they're waiting each time to take their turn in the ring with him. I would say Job feels very alone. Would you agree? Now, do you remember what I said at the beginning? I said this. I said Satan's only goal is to prove that people only follow God when things go good. That they only do his will when it makes sense and when it's easy. Well, God allowed Job to show us a different reality. He didn't allow, he didn't show a defeat, a, a, the destruction of Job. He said, you know what, I want you to test Job because I'm going to use Job to encourage Christians about 4,000 years in the future, today, that God is worthy of losing everything for. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Let's see, I'll go to uh, Brother Dan. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. So what was more precious to Paul, the successes of the ministry or the losses? I'm not there yet. I am not there. He says, I count how many things as an empty zero in his life? So there probably were lots of successes, but when he looked at them, he says, I've decided to count them as zero. Why? Because at every loss, he was able to draw closer to Christ who lost everything to save him. And so there is, a, there is a sweetness that is in the valley that you'll never experience until you're alone and defeated and accused like Christ. And you're like, wow, Lord, you're here. He is known as the lily of the valley. Let's pray. played out before us, Lord, in, in this book of books, is a pre-crucifixion, crucifixion. All of these friends of Job are like the Pharisees of old. They're like 
they become like the worst kind of enemy. And I don't think they knew what they were doing. I don't think that they were aware of just how they were tearing down their best friend. Because there are more forces operating than just us. I believe the devil was behind all this. But I, Father, I know that there is a force above Satan and using all of this for good. So, Lord, I pray that we don't focus just on Job, but we look at Eliphaz and we say, Lord, help me not to be like him. Help me when somebody is hurting to probably say nothing. Help me not to think that I understand. Help me not to think that I can fix. Help me to just love. And if they want to talk, listen. And if they need counsel, say as little as possible and say only what will encourage them. Because, Lord, I don't want to add insult to injury. That's the devil's work. You told me I... I need to be careful with what I say. I need to be careful with how I judge. Because I'm too prone to judge others by my Christianity. So, Lord, I want to judge things by Jesus Christ. And when I look at him, I see somebody who overlooked a lot of me and still loves me. So, Lord, as we start to look at this man, Eliphaz, and go through... And we see the, the prosperity doctrines help us to recoil and to pull back and go, Lord, if I lose everything, help me to be faithful. If I end up on an ash heap, can I still worship you? Would you help me never, ever to forget that I have good reason to still trust you and to know that you ever live, and you're my redeemer, and that no matter how bad it gets, you're going to make me like Jesus. You're going to make me more precious than gold. So I love you, Lord. I pray that these thoughts and these truths open our eyes, not to just the troubles that we go through, but to the troubles that we add to in other people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen.